As I was reading this week, reading up on the story for today, I came across a, a saying that I've heard many times, and you probably have too, and I hadn't heard it in a long time, and it kind of fits with what I wanted to say today. Um, it's that saying that when you're pointing a finger at someone else or at something else, that three fingers are pointing back at you. Have y'all heard that before? Um, yes, yes. That. Oh, thank you, Chris. There's a good, good yes, right? Yeah, you know what that means. You know, if you cast aspersions this way, well, three of them need to come back at yourself. I think where that saying was in, in the context was in, in that story when Jesus is talking about um, to dig out the log of your own eye before you go to try to get the speck out of somebody else's. But I do think that that saying could speak to this parable today because very often this parable has been used to point that way, and Jesus does point that way, but also I think, and I'd like to work it in a little bit, that maybe that parable can point back at us as well. This is the fourth week I've been in Matthew, um, and every week has been a parable. A parable, a, a common story that people of the day would readily understand, but Jesus always would throw a twist in it, a twist that would... Um, call on the folks to think, to act differently. Today is no exception. Uh, beginning with chapter 21 that we're still in, um, Jesus is increasingly hostile and increasingly uh, fighting with the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. He had come into Jerusalem on a donkey where everyone was praising him. He went into the temple right away and turned over the tables and called out, the, the leaders saying, this y'all have made this into a den of robbers. Then right after that was the story that we read last week about the parable of the two sons where, uh, in effect, Jesus calls out the religious leaders because they weren't following in the will of God. And then we get this story today, and I'd like to breeze through it a little bit, pointing the finger and then turning the parable around. Starts off, there was a landowner. He planted a vineyard, he, he built a hedge around it, then he built a watchtower, a tower to, to guard in case enemies might come. Pretty good landowner to do that. And then it says that he leased it out to tenants. The tenants would come and, and care for the vineyard, and, you know, and, and then at the end of the, the season, uh, the, the, landlord, the landowner would expect you know, a good piece of that to come back to him as, as rent. And the people of that day understood that, because that was a very common practice. We can understand that, too. Well, at the end of the season, it says that he sent the slaves to the tenants to, to collect his, his portion of the produce. But then, and here's where things get kind of squirrely, the tenants, they grabbed the slaves, it says they beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Well, then, the, king, the, the landowner sends even more slaves after that, and they do the same thing to those guys. And finally, the landowner says, well, I'm going to send my son. And the text says that he's saying that they will respect my son. Literally, though, that word respect is shamed in the passive. So a better translation for that would, they will be shamed by my son. In other words, when they see the son of the landowner, they will recognize that what they have done is wrong and they will be shamed by that and stop doing that. But as we read, 
They see the sun coming, and I guess they're assuming that the, that the landowner is dead, and that's why the, the sun has come. And they say, well, let's kill him. He says, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Now, in reading on this parable, some say that the landowner was foolish for sending the son based on how the tenants had already act. But I don't know that the landowner was the foolish one. I think the tenants are the foolish one because I think what they had thought all along is that that vineyard belonged to them. And in killing the son and taking over the vineyard, they thought things would be how they are supposed to be. That was foolish thinking. Because, for one thing, the landowner was not dead. It says when the landowner, when the, Jesus says that when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? And, and I hadn't noticed this part before, but it says that the religious leaders answer this. And they say, well, they're going to put those guys to a miserable death. And they're going to lease the vineyard to tenants who will, who will give them the produce at the harvest time. The, the religious leaders say that, ironically, since they, might not, they don't know it yet, but Jesus is talking about them. And now Jesus gets confusing, at least to me, because he starts mixing his images. He's gone from talking about the vineyard and the harvest and the tenants, and now he quotes from Psalm 118. It says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. In the parable, it was the son that was rejected. Now Jesus is quoting from Psalm 118 about the stone being rejected, but that that stone will become the cornerstone. The cornerstone, the foundation piece that is laid, and then the building is built around that. He's talking about himself. They didn't know that at the time. This was the Lord's doing. It's amazing in our eyes. And then he goes and mixes the images again. He says, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, you religious leaders, and given to a people that produces the fruit of the kingdom. And here's where he mixes things. He's talking about that parable, the images of the parable. Now he goes back to the stone. The one who falls on this stone will be broken in pieces. It will crush anyone on whom it falls. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees realize that Jesus is talking about them, but they don't do anything because, see, the crowds thought Jesus was a prophet, so they couldn't do anything yet. They will. That's the parable. Now, here's how it is interpreted. The landowner is God. The vineyard is the people of Israel. and In the, in, in the Old Testament, Israel is often portrayed as a vineyard. God is the landowner, Israel is the, the vineyard. And the tenants of the vineyard are the people of Israel, or the religious leaders of the Israel. And when the slaves come, the slaves represent God's prophets that come and call the people to faithfulness, to take care of the poor and the needy and the orphan among you, to stop being greedy, to quit um, cheating on the scales of justice. The prophets come and say that to the, the leaders, the religious and the political leaders. 
And the leaders snuff out these prophets. And finally, the very son of the landowner comes and they kill him too. But then that stone that was rejected becomes the cornerstone, the foundation stone. Jesus is talking about resurrection there. Now, very often how this story is pointed out is that Jesus is talking about Israel. That God has rejected Israel as God's chosen people and now he's going to look for a new people. The Gentiles. Now that interpretation has flown throughout Christian history and it's been used to condemn Jewish people as Christ killers and to justify the murder, the, the ghettoing of Jewish people for centuries. I think that's a total misreading because for one thing, Jesus was a Jew. I think what Jesus is doing here is pointing out the evil of the leaders. Those who had been entrusted by God to lead and to care for the vineyard have abused their authority. And they've used their power in terrible ways. And the reason why they do that is because they think they are the ones in charge. Now, that's how that parable is interpreted. And I think that's a good interpretation. But really all that does is point at something from 2,000 years ago. I want to retell the story a little bit with three fingers pointing back at least to me. God is the landowner. The vineyard is life itself, whether that's the created earth, whether that is us as people, and the lives we live, and the, and the blessings that come in life, that is the vineyard. That is God's intention, that all of creation will be blessed and one. We are the tenants. We are called to care for the life, the blessings, the vineyard that God has put us in. But then things come along to call us to new faithfulness. Perhaps it is the, the prophets of the Old Testament, like Micah, who talks about to, to uh, uh, I always forget the triple, there's three of them, to, to speak humbly, uh, walk gently, and something kindness with God. Something like that. It's a th in other words, to live in a new way. But we put that aside. Or we embrace that Jesus is Lord and that he died on the cross and that we're going to get to go to heaven now. But then we kind of set aside the part where Jesus says, if you want to, if you want to follow me, you need to deny yourself and take up a cross and follow me. And we find ways to step around that. Why? Because my life belongs to me. It is mine and I can do with it whatever I want. You know what we're saying when we say those things? We're being the tenant who thinks that they are the owner of the vineyard and we're not. God is the owner of the vineyard and that vineyard is our whole life. And God keeps calling us and calling us and calling us. And while we may not kill people, we reject it because it is hard to hear and we don't want to do it. Well, 
I don't want to do it because my life is mine. However, every week I've tried to lift up in these parables that those parables really aren't about how the title suggests. For instance, the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. That story was not about the laborers. That story was about the God who owns the vineyard and cares for all the people who have come to work for him. It's the parable of the generous God. This parable, I think, is the parable of the landowner who continues to call. You notice that it is the religious leaders who say that, that the landowner is going to go and, and miserably destroy these tenants. Jesus never says that. Instead, what Jesus says is, Jesus says, okay, if you're not going to do that, I'm going to call a people. Here's what it says. The kingdom will be taken away from you and given to a people. That word people is ethne. Ethne, we get ethnic or ethos from it. Um, it's the notion of people who are brought together in a common way to pursue a common purpose. Given to an ethne that produces the fruits of the kingdom. God is not a God who comes and smites the tenants like the religious leader said. God is a God who continues to call a new people, a people, not a group of individuals, but a people into existence. And it's a people who produce the fruits of the kingdom. What are those fruits? How do we produce the fruits of the kingdom? I think it would help if we all explored our own lives and how we might live out loving God and loving others. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Maybe we can grab a hold of a few of those and seek to live those in our lives more faithfully. This week I was by myself because my kids were out of town and Beth was out of town. And that just means I usually read way too much. So I did. I read way too much this week, especially on the tragedy in Las Vegas. I remember Monday I'd gotten up and I had... Uh, while I was eating my cereal, I was reading the paper on my um, computer. And then I got in my car and started driving to um, Lexington to go visit Luann Mitchell. And on the drive, I was listening to the news on the radio, and it kept playing. Well, first, when I, before I got in the car, there were like 20-some people who had been killed. By the time I got to Luann's, it had been up to 50, and then it would be, grow even more. And, of course, in the new cast, and I'm sure you saw it or heard it, the, the sounds of gunshots, gunfire, rapid, screaming, yelling, death. But then I was reminded, eventually, of something that I read somewhere, somebody told me a while back, and I put this on Facebook, and actually, some of y'all actually like that one. Mr. Rogers had said this when he was around, that y'all know Mr. Rogers, um, well... All of us older people do. Emily, your grandmother can explain Mr. Rogers to you, okay? Mr. Rogers said uh, when, his, uh, when he was a kid and something sad or bad or tragic would happen and he would talk to his mom about it and his mom would say, look for the helpers. So that's what I tried to do. 
I tried to look for the helpers. So I began to read stories of some of these people who responded. And I actually came across one article, and of course I didn't save it, and I don't remember where I read it, because like I said, I read way too much this week. But it was, it was an article based on um, first responders who were at the concert who were like off-duty police officers or, or you know, former military veterans. And I was reading the story of one person who was a, I think he was a cop in, in California, but he had taken a weekend off to come to this concert. And it said when he started hearing the gunfire and noticed what it was, it said that, he said this, he said that his instincts kicked in. And he went around trying to help whoever he could help. Now I'm not saying that we are that people whose instincts kick in in that way, but I think God is working on us to develop in us instincts that will kick in to help produce the fruits of the kingdom. How might that happen for you? One way that it's happening for me is uh, there's three of us that are starting a reading group. Um, we're going to read about, uh, the first book we're going to read is um, um, something like um, I Was Born White. And it's to study, read and study and discuss on racial differences and in, 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 Seeking reconciliation. Now us three are doing that because we sense that there's still something wrong in our community. Now I got called out for that recently. But my hope is to try to understand how other people see things. Instead of just staying in my own little place. I may not always agree, but I need to hear what other people are saying. Now some say that's just being political or whatever. I don't agree at all. I think it's... For me, it's, it's trying to hear what other people have to say who are different than me. To me, that's how God's going to speak, is listening to people who are different than me, not shouting amens with people who just agree with me all the time. Um, and sometimes that's hard. Sometimes that'll get people upset at you. But, you know, to me, that's part of denying the self. What's it going to be for you? If you're like me, there's always three fingers pointing back, reminding me that I've got a lot of work to do. But over all of that is God's grace and God's continuing to call us. From here, and as I will be saying Tuesday at Bill Jewett's funeral, calling us not just here, but into eternity. And for that God, we give all thanks and praise. Amen. Now let us sing our hymn of invitation.